0: turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And today we're going to look at a unique character as we begin unpacking the Christmas story. His name is Zachariah. You might not have ever heard a message about him. But in his life, what we see is this combination of two things that we hold in tension as Christ followers. And that is the sovereignty of God and then how we sow into the kingdom so we're talking about the balance of sovereignty and sowing today as we jump in i was thinking about someone that's very familiar at christmas time that our kids get real excited and put out milk and cookies for who is santa claus do you know that santa claus was a real person santa claus was actually saint nicholas who in ancient times lived in the country of Turkey. It was during the time that it was the Grecian Empire. Nicholas became the Bishop of Myrub. And before that, though, you've got to understand, he was born in a Christian home to wealthy parents. But then at this time, a pandemic hit the Grecian world. And both of his parents died at a young age. So he ended up an orphan. But instead of just being upset and, and, and feeling entitled, what this young man, he gave his life to Christ. And as he read God's word, and it's much of what we were talking about in our offering, he read the verse, uh, do not store up treasures that earth, that, on earth that moth and rust destroy, but give, sell your possessions and give to the poor and store up a treasure in heaven. And he became a very generous man. He was specifically focused on children. And so where did we get this thought that Santa is gonna come and bring presents for kids? Well, Saint Nicholas was known primarily for this story. Back in these days, women needed a dowry in order to get married. There were three young women living in his village and they were, had a father who was a widower. Their mother had died, and they were very poor. At this time, if you didn't have a dowry, oftentimes you went into slavery. And so knowing this was going to happen, this father and these daughters were in tremendous anguish. And the story says that right before the time of, of the first one being sold into slavery, that one night, a bag of gold was thrown through the window anonymously by St. Nicholas, and it landed near or in one of their shoes or stockings. Now, some of you are gonna start praying for this. Wow, this is, I heard it at church, why not believe for it? Or at least some Bitcoin to be thrown to my account. Anyway, uh, but each time one of these young women was gonna be sold into slavery, this, this gold was given, and that is where this concept of, of Santa Claus coming and giving gifts at Christmas time came. But what I love about this story is this balance of sovereignty, you know, Nicholas didn't choose to be born into a Christian family or choose to be wealthy, but he also didn't choose the tragedy of his parents dying, these sovereign things that happen in our lives. But then the balance with the decision to live his life committed to Christ and giving to the poor and making a great impact that we still make mention of today. I want you to see that in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth today. We're starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea. So this is the time that this story happened. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So you remember Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother thousands of years before she was born. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before in the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Okay, if an angel shows up, guys, just trust him, okay? I, I, I love this. I'm an old man and my wife is well and long in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel for crying out loud. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent here to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words. I'm telling you. Let's, let's pay attention to our angels, um, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, you know? Uh, What kind of, what what was he making? They realized he had seen a vision in the temple before he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Okay, here's what I see in the life of uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're these sovereign aspects that they had no control over. They didn't control that they were Jewish people. They didn't control what family they were born in, that he was from the line of Abijah and she was from the the line of Aaron. They didn't control that he was actually a priest, like you were born into that family. And then it even says that there was a time of casting lots for who was going to go in to the temple. There are some aspects of our life that are just sovereign. Right there's aspects of our life that are, are just sovereign. I, I want to uh, take you in today as we talk about the balance between the sovereignty of God and how we sow into the kingdom with our lives by by first showing you this diagram from. Robert Clinton or Bobby Clinton. He's really the foremost authority on studying leaders. He's been a professor up at Fuller Seminary. This comes from the book, The Making of a Leader. And what he did is he studied biblical leaders, historical leaders, and contemporary leaders and said, what was God doing in their lives, in different decades of their lives? And what are the seasons that a leader passes through to finally fulfill their destiny and make their contribution. So here's what they are, the sovereign foundations. I was explaining this, you don't determine what family you're born into, what, what country you're born into, what ethnicity you are, your economic status. Some of the things that happened to you for Zachariah and Elizabeth, they, they didn't choose to, to, to be childless, to not be able to have children. So these are the sovereign foundations. Then we have your inner life growth. The main thing that's going on there is your character is being developed. You have all kinds of tests to see, are you going to trust God? Are you going to walk with him? Are you going to pass the humility test, the faithfulness test, the integrity test? If you pass through that, you move on to ministry maturing. And so this is when we start with, with uh, our, our specific calling that that. We learn the skills to participate in. God's given different people different giftings. And so we start learning in a broad way those different gifting skills for the contribution that you're going to make. But you don't make your contribution yet because not only do you have the skills, but before you even make your major contribution, you have to go through life maturing. And, and that is a deep work that often happens in midlife where we learn, oh, life's not all about me. I'm not the sinner of it, and actually, you come face to face with your limitations. And then, if you really get that life maturing into the holistic person you're called to be, then it's convergence. And that's when we really lock in and do our contribution that you were put on earth for. And then, very few people actually, many people don't ever get to convergence, by the way, they get stuck in the former trials. Very few get into afterglow where they've made a a life contribution in such a way that the young generations come and seek their counsel and their mentoring and their input. And they spend the the last years of their life passing on what they've learned to a next generation. Let me put up to you what Bobby Clinton saw that this usually happens in these different decades. So Sovereign Foundations zero to 20, that is really the hand that you've been dealt and you live out your your young years and up to your teenage years. But then your 20s to 30s. Now here's what's so important, young people. There are a lot of young people in this service. So many times because we live in America where there's the cult of youth that we think, if I haven't made a million bucks by the time I'm 21 and have five gold albums, right? And, and become famous and, and, and been a superstar, then I failed. And that's just absolutely not what God's doing in that time of your life. Your 20s are the season where God is crafting you into be the man or woman of God that you're called to be. Even your 30s to 40s is not your life contribution. You know, so your, your 30s is when you're actually learning gifts and skills, right? And then your 40s is when you go through that crisis time. A lot of people, that's why they end up selling their car and and going into debt to buy a fire engine red, red Corvette, getting a hair transplant and trading in their old model spouse for a new one. Not what you're supposed to do. But why? It's because there's a great crisis in life where we realize our limitations and we think is life, is that all that life, is that all there is? And what God's saying is, no, there's a deepness in me. There's a rich fellowship in me, and that's why so many people hit a wall that they're supposed to go deeper in. And then here, if you look at it, the great leaders typically make their contribution in their 50s to 70s. Okay, now that should be really encouraging to you if you're that age, because a lot of times people feel like, well, I'm a has-been, and I'm old, and I'm washed up. No, you're in the prime of your life. And so you look at people uh, like Moses doing his ministry at 80 years old. Right, you look at these great leaders, or you look at David, David wasn't even, uh, didn't even become king of the kingdoms until he was in his 40s. And so, so oftentimes we get sidetracked, and and then the 70s is the richest season, the 70s on is the richest season of life where you are passing on, and and instead of being a, a crotchety old man or woman, you are a loving spiritual patriarch espousing love and wisdom to the next generations. I find such joy in this because here's what I find, especially young people, we always feel like we're behind. We feel like we haven't, we haven't made our contribution. And what we see through here is this is what God's doing. Now, let me give you a warning. If you don't pass your inner life test of characters and values, you never get to go to the next one. And so you'll meet people in their 60s and 70s that still are just running, going around, the mountain, like the children of Israel, because they didn't get their trusting God lesson down. Here's what I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth. You see these sovereign foundations, you see some positives, you see some negatives, but then it says this. It says this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, what you know is they weren't perfect because an angel shows up and Zechariah's like, can I trust you? You know, uh, these guys, these guys weren't perfect. That's not what I'm saying. What does it mean to live a righteous life? Because this is one, the balance of sovereignty, what God hands to you. But one of the things we sow in life is righteousness. How do you sow a righteous life? It's living our life knowing that our life is a, is a sacrifice, is a fragrance, is an offering to the Lord. It's not perfection. Listen to me. You can't earn your salvation. Right? You can't be good enough for God. We're saved by grace. What Jesus did on the cross, that's what saves you. Okay? You can't earn God's love. You become a child of God, and he is madly in love with you and can't love you more. When our kids were born, right? they, they were born in that hospital room. I'll spare you the gory details, but it was, it was bloody and messy. Right? People were like, oh, the beauty of childbirth. I'm like, ugh. Uh, but I loved my nasty little bloody kids, right? They didn't have to earn my love. I I, I love them because they were mine, and God loves you. So you're not you're not performing to get saved. You're not performing to gain His love. The reason we live a righteous life is to live a life honoring Him. We live a life to to bless Him, and I. I couldn't love my kids more, but I am so blessed when they live to honor me. And that's one of the things that we sow. And as we sow righteousness, then we move to the next phase in living out our destiny. You see, there's a partnership between sovereignty and sowing. The Bible says this, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows, Galatians 6 and seven. So it matters what kind of life we lead. Uh, this week I was in uh, Oaxaca, Mexico, with one of our amazing church plants, All People's Oaxaca. Uh, here's a little picture. You see the little All People's circle and uh, very discreet building color right there. Um, uh, let me show you a beautiful picture of all the people inside of it. This, this church has already grown to a couple different services. There's 25 people in the training school. It's just, it's amazing what God's doing. Uh, they're sending their first person now into the unreached. This, this is the part of Mexico that has the most unreached people groups. They've just launched their first person to start a house church in one of these unreached villages. So it's just amazing what God's doing. But let me tell you about the story of the people who started it. This is Frankie and Chelsea O'Rourke. And um, Frankie Frankie had a very challenging childhood. His father is a drug addict. Um, Frankie then ended up just living with a single mom and and, uh, his brother. Often he said that they didn't have electricity. He said to to stay warm at night, they'd heat up hot water bottles and snuggle with them at night. He said uh, that. He, uh, he had to do everything on his own. He got his own insurance as a, as a teenager, and he ended up getting in a car accident. And one of his family members, without him knowing, even though he had gotten his own insurance, he had paid for it. One of his family members had cut off the policy. And so he, and as, as a 20-year-old, he ended up going bankrupt. Now, no one would have blamed Frankie if he would have been bitter, if he would have been frustrated, if he would have followed in his, in his father's footsteps. But in high school, God pursued him. And he met Jesus on a school campus in a, in a campus ministry. And I said, Frankie, what, what happened to you? Like, how did you go from such instability? Like, actually, his family at, at time would, would run from house to house to leave to, because they couldn't pay their mortgage. So they'd like take off in the middle of the night. He said, someone gave me a Bible and I just started reading it. And he goes, actually, as a high schooler, I'd often read the Bible for an hour at a time. And it just started bringing me peace and, like, rewiring my mind of what life could be. He said, then I decided I need to be around Christians, so I, I made the, the, cho- the choice to go to a Christian college, and there I got surrounded by people. And then he met this amazing girl, Chelsea, and, and Chelsea was saying, you know, one day God spoke to her, you're going to marry Frankie. And she went, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She said, that would be really awkward, Lord. I'm not even attracted to him. And But as she faithfully prayed and, and they built a friendship, she said it was because God was letting us build a, a, a strong friendship. And she goes, our marriage has been the strongest part of our life. God knew what he was doing. And it was, it was on uh, a campus, and then she had a similar experience, but on his college campus where he saw a video of unreached peoples, and he said... Uh, uh, He had never thought about this, but all of a sudden he's just crying, going, I've got to give my life for the unreached people of the world. You know, Frankie had a sovereign hand that was dealt to him, but then he chose to live for Jesus. And then in the place of prayer, Frankie asking God, God, lead me and direct me, he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw these people that were crying out for help And in the end, he realized those people were in Oaxaca, Mexico, and now it's amazing to see how many lives have been transformed and changed. So we sow a righteous life, but we also, what we learn from the story of Zechariah is that we sow prayer. So listen to this in Luke 1, verse 10. It says this, "...and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside." Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Guys, if you want to meet God, then go to the place of prayer. God loves showing up when his people call out to him. What, what is prayer? Prayer is being with God. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. So if you want to experience God, you're brilliant for being here today, but you also want to get in your place alone and pray. And that's what what he was doing. Listen to this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, and then the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. So we sow a righteous life, but we also sow prayers. I started thinking this week, what if Zachariah had never prayed? Uh, A generation, a world would have been missing John the Baptist. Or the angel shows up and says, your prayer for a son has been answered. And then God does so much beyond what he would have ever dreamed of. I think about what would happen if someone wouldn't have prayed. Uh, let me put up the picture of Patrick and Rocio. Um, these guys are planning this church and uh, Patrick is being used unbelievably. He's, he's uh, very much a gringo um, and yet speaks with a perfect Spanish accent. He's been on the streets preaching the gospel, he's preaching in the church. I met this powerful leader down there and Patrick is discipling him. And um, actually, his wife, Rocio, who is a native Spanish speaker, says uh, she often asked him, uh, you know, for the different word choices, like he's very gifted. Um, How did Patrick end up in Oaxaca? Patrick was a very lost guy in a tech company here in San Diego, but he had a girl from All People's Church that had befriended him, and she was... She had Patrick on her heart and she invited Patrick to an event. Patrick uh, was a big partier. And so Patrick was at an event and got very drunk. And after he got drunk, he got in an accident where he almost lost his life. And he went into massive crisis mode. And in that crisis mode, he remembered that he had been invited to an all people's church event. And he showed up at an event. Uh, interestingly enough, he showed up at the commission conference uh, for his first thing. Uh, can you imagine that's the first thing you ever come to? Uh, no wonder he's, he's doing what he's doing. But uh, he shows up at that event, and the first time he walks through the door, he gives his life to Jesus. God transformed him. He had an amazing life for him. They're living out an amazing destiny But what if someone wouldn't have prayed? What if someone wouldn't have invited him? Can you just do this for a minute? Can you pick up your your invitation we put on every chair? Uh, Everyone pick up one of these. I want to tell you that what if someone wouldn't have invited Frankie to the high school ministry? What if someone wouldn't have invited Patrick to an all-people's event? He is changing countless lives. and, And not only that, he is so joyful now. He is, he is not addicted to any substances. He's a living a free life. He has a godly marriage. But why? Because someone prayed for him. What if Zechariah wouldn't have prayed for his son? There'd be no John the Baptist. What if this precious girl hadn't prayed for Patrick? There would be no missionary to Oaxaca that's transforming lives. Who is it that's going to be transformed by your prayers? By your invitations? Wouldn't you... Um, In in the last service, towards the back row, there was a a young man uh, sitting there. And I'll never forget when Joel Sanders calls and and texted a few of us and said, please pray for my friend that lives across the street. He's been a gang banger. He's been a violent guy. He's been in jail. But I just had the opportunity to share the gospel. And I think he's interested. Please pray for him. Then then, Then we get another text. He just gave his life to Jesus. Then we get another text, he's coming to church and he shows up at church. We had no idea that he'd end up not just coming to Christ, but leading both of his brothers to the Lord, his parents to the Lord. His dad was in a cult, but was sitting, at that time was in a cult, but in the last service was sitting back there with him. He's, he's opened his home and hosted one of our life groups. He went on, now he leads, he's a part of the leadership team of one of the biggest Christian camps in San Diego where weekly, he gets to preach the gospel and has led scores of kids to the Lord. But what would have happened if Joel wouldn't have had on his heart, I'm gonna pray for this guy and I'm gonna invite him. His life has been changed. His brothers have been changed. His parents have been changed. Countless kids have been changed. You have no idea who's living in your family. The next person in the spirit of John the Baptist with the power of God preparing a way for the Lord. Is that how you see your coworkers? Is that how you see your classmates? Is that how you see your family members? I often find it's the people that seem the furthest away from God that get transformed the most radically and make a kingdom impact. Hold this in your hand right now. Lord, we are praying over these invitations Lord, I pray for the next Frankie and Chelsea O'Rourke. So I pray for the next Patrick and Rocio Tos. I pray for the next Christian Correels and, and Brian and, and Ruben, his father. Lord, I'm, I'm, I thank you for all the people that have been changed and transformed through prayer and invitation. And Lord, make us intercessors like Zachariah was to bring in people into the kingdom who will transform a generation. I'm kind of excited about this. Zechariah asked the angel, "How can I be sure about this? I'm an old man, and my wife's well along in years." The angel said to him, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I'm I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news." Here's what I love about the story of Zechariah. He doesn't have great faith. Like I'm trying to show you in the in the Bible over and over again that the Bible's not a story of superheroes. The Bible is a, a, is a book about ordinary people that have an extraordinary God. Like this guy, he has a freaking angel show up. And he's like, can I? Will this really happen? Mm. Like that, that shows his humanity, right? And it shows the goodness of God, right? That you're, you don't have to have perfect faith. Like you, you, you don't have to have lived a perfect life that God and, and so this is what he says this is what the angel says and now you'll be silent not able to speak until this day happens because you do not believe the words so listen we want to obey god because when we don't there can be discipline right like we know that in the bible right like jonah gets swallowed by a whale and um the children of israel like wait 40 years that that to, to enter the promised land that that is why we can get stuck in these stages let me just encourage you, though. Say you're older and you're coming to Jesus now. You're like, oh, no, I don't have all these years to go by. No, God can accelerate them. He's going to take everyone through these same promi- the, the, the same stages. But if you, say, if you just keep saying yes and keep, you keep falling, you keep getting up and going, God, I'm going to pass the test that, that I go through. I'm going to live my life before you. I'm going to live a prayerful life. And God can accelerate you through to where you get to convergence, where you're living the destiny that God's put on. On your life listen to this last phrase that I want to highlight it says this my words which will come true at their appointed time hopefully you've been understanding that there's a sovereign call on your life like you're not a nobody every person in here God has written a script about your life even before you were born and it's an amazing script But it's our job to ask him, God, what is my calling? What is my destiny? And then I'm going to partner with you by living a righteous life before you. And I'm gonna partner with you by praying in the destiny. I'm gonna partner with it and I'm gonna pray it. I'm gonna partner and pray, partner and pray. Do you know the destiny? Because God has specific words for each of you. Specific words that will come in an appointed time. Now, sometimes God gives you the time. Like God spoke to me, you're going to marry Stephanie Herman. I was, I was praying and asking him. And he said, yes, you are going to marry this woman and you are going to marry her on May 12th, 2001. Like he gave me the time. Now that doesn't happen a time. There's one, another time when he said, you're going to plant all people's church in two years. So there's sometimes where God will give you the time. But guys, the hard thing is when God gives you a word and he doesn't give you the time. And a lot of people don't live out the fullness of their calling because it's not on your timetable. (laughs) And it did not happen as quick as you want. Like God spoke so clearly, I'm going to give you the building. He spoke it to me. He spoke it through prophetic voices, right? And yet we have this piece of land and now it's five plus years where we're just trying to get building permits. And man, those things, you get really tired, right? You get really worn out when you're like, God gave me this word but it's taking forever. But then there's an appointed time. Last night, my son handed me his, his computer to, to proofread a paper. Well, actually, he gave it to Steph. Um, but then she, it's church, I need to be honest. Um, but then she needed to get up, and I was like, I'll finish it. So then I, I, I read it, and he's, t- he's, telling, he's telling a story. He's, he's telling a story, and he's talking about a hardship he went through and then he starts explaining, he goes, but in that hardship, I remembered this verse and God helped strengthen me and gave me peace through it. And he, and he anchored me and then he moved me into this place. And, and, and now my friends are coming to know Jesus. And he said, and it's, it was through this verse, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be fearful, not be terrified, but the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I thought, wow, the appointed time is coming to pass because I started praying that verse over him before he was one years old. And I've laid hands on him every, every day I've been home. I put my hand on him, or most days, I put my hand on him and I pray that verse. And now at 16, I'm seeing the fruit of him saying, I now believe that God is with me wherever I go. And now he's using me to bring my friends to the Lord. And I'm thinking, wow. 16 years, and he's finally seeing that verse come to fruition. I don't know what the promise is for you, but God has specific promises, and I encourage you to go get them. And then I encourage you, don't escape, don't hit the ejection seat, don't punt until those promises come to life. So let me finish. I'm gonna put three questions up on the screen for you to ponder. Number one, do you know God's sovereign call on your life? He wants to give it to you, but are you seeking him and asking him, God, God, what's the specific call that you've put on my life? Number two, number two, is there an area of your life where you're not right with God? Like, is there an area, if someone was writing the script of your life like they were Zechariah, would they be able to say, John, or Mary, or, or Juan, or whatever your name is, fill in the blank, they were living a righteous life before God? If not... Don't get condemned, just repent. Tell God you're sorry today and say, God, now give me power through the Holy Spirit living in me to live a righteous life. Number three, who and what are you continually praying for? Who are the people that God's put in your life, in your sphere, that you're continually praying for? Because you might have the next John the Baptist, the next Frankie or Chelsea O'Rourke, the next Patrick or Rocio, And you're going to have the joy of seeing them come into the kingdom and become all that God's called them to be. And when we do that, we'll have what Zachariah and Elizabeth said. He will be a great joy to you, and you will have great delight. Let's stand up.